The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is Green and Gold History. 50 plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. This is Green and Gold History. All right, so a little Green and Gold History today. We're going to do best 60-game starts in A's history. What is your honorable mention? Yeah, so we're basically kind of doing a little differently. We're going to kind of look at uh, 60-game starts and the different statistical categories. Uh, so I thought maybe we look at some of the, the guys who got off the bad 60-game starts. I mean, 60 games... Right, it's 37% of a regular 162-game season, and that's what we're looking at this year. Uh, and so it's a case where basically every game counts for three games. Um, so it's imperative that you get off to a good start because you don't have time to make up for things, right? And if you look at the, the A's back in uh, 1979, which was the worst 60-game start for them, 19-41. and 41. Uh, and they lost 108 games. Now, even worse than that, <clears throat> pardon me, was the 1994 team. They started 18 and 42, and this this season was going down very quickly. But then they turn around. They have a 19 and three stretch, and they actually end the year going 36 and 24 before the season ends because of the strike. But think about that: 60 games. They were 18 and 42. Uh, you can't have anything like that happen this year. You cannot, again, you know, a three-game losing streak is like a nine-game losing streak. It's so imperative that you get off to a good start because there's no time to make up for it. I'm, you know what? I mean, I'm just excited to have baseball back, right? I mean, I mean I'm mean, i sitting here July 1st, and we're still – we don't have – I mean, this has never happened in my career, never happened in your career. I mean, we just missed the game. But when this thing does get going – it is really going to be fascinating because no more of this. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Look at the back of the baseball card. No, you need to start hitting. You need to start pitching and you need to start winning right away. Yeah, it's very much to me. It's like a college baseball season because um, it's short and kind of compacted, right? 60 games. Um, you're playing all the teams in your division. So it's you're going to get pretty much a true division champion. It's a pretty balanced schedule for all the teams in your division. Even, yeah, there's a couple games here and there in the interleague against, you know, the natural rival. But basically, you're playing the same. Um, so it's very much a true division champion. Different for the wild card, but for the division champion. The other thing that I find fascinating, and i kind of really looking forward to this, is once you get to the postseason, you are going to be playing teams you've never seen before. Right? You haven't seen any of these teams this year. It is going to be brand new. And to me, that is really exciting. And the postseason is no different than any other postseason we've had for the last 20 years. Right? You still have to win the division series, the league championship, the world. It's the same number of games once you get to the postseason. So when people talk about the champion for this year, they wouldn't be a legitimate champion. I totally disagree. Because once you get to the postseason, you have to do exactly what you would have had to done any other year. So to me, it's still legitimate and it's even harder because again you're going to be playing teams you have not seen the entire season 
Is it going to be more exciting than you and Roxy Bernstein doing a spring football game for Arizona State where they have like 120 guys on the roster? Yeah, it's going to be a lot more exciting than that. Oh, God. <laughs> I remember Roxy told me, he's like, yeah, we got to go down to Arizona State. I'm like, how many guys? There's like 120. I mean, like, what? You guys really? Yeah, that that, that really does happen. All right, let's uh, let's get into your top 10. All right, so let's talk about the batting average to start. So this is the uh, highest Oakland A's batting average uh, through the first 60 games, and we go back to 1988 and Carney Lansford. Carney hit 384 through those first 60, and actually through the first 54 games, he was hitting 402. Gets off to a tremendous start. He had 96 hits in those 60 games. He had at least one hit in 50 to 59 games he played in, including 30 multi-hit games. I mean, this he's having a he's having a year. This is a former batting champ and the strike year of '81 when he was with the Red Sox, but he's having a year. And then it all crashed down on him. He only hit 193 for the rest of the year with no power, like only six doubles, two homers. He had nothing. So this is a guy who's hitting 384 through 60 games, and over the last hundred, he ends up hitting for the season 279. So there was a guy who would have liked to have a 60-game season in 88 because that is a huge drop-off. And, again, a great example of what a long season is compared to a short season. You know, uh, you know, we've had Carney on many times here on the program, and you just think, you know, there's so many great players that they had in that stretch in the late 80s and early 90s. Hall of Famers, should be Hall of Famers. I think people forget how good Carney Lansford was. You know, I mean, when you got Jose was the star, Big Mac's hitting home runs, Ricky Henderson's a Hall of Famer, you know, but Carney Lansford, you know, you and I growing up, I mean, you knew Carney Lansford was legit. So I'm going to take a different point of view because I felt Carney was very overrated. Really? Yeah. And uh, I thought defensively, uh, he was limited in his range. His range was basically what he could fall through, to fall to, to get. He didn't have very quick feet over there. Um, but the worst part for me was his his inability to drive in runs. And this is a guy batting with Ricky Henderson pretty much on second base every time. And he's hitting 336, Carney is. This is 1989. And he drives in 50 runs. How is that possible? because he's not coming up with the hits when they matter. Uh, it was, he didn't hit for a lot of power. Um, at times, he, he showed great um, stolen base uh, productivity. Um, but overall, I, Carney, yeah, he was a glue guy. And he was kind of, you know, the captain Carney, the unofficial captain of the team. Um, but I thought he was a little overrated. Now, I will tell you this, though. He's got, uh, quite 19... a few, he's got quite a few years with over an 800 OPS, which is pretty yeah. damn He was okay. It, 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 most of it didn't matter. Put it this way. Two outs, nobody on, guaranteed base hit by Carney Lansford. Uh, but I will tell you this. In 1992, after he missed almost all of the 91 season after the snowmobile accident, uh, he was a clutch player in 92. Uh, he was different. He hit for power. He hit timely hitting. And they don't win the division in 92 without Carney Lansford. Um, so that, to me, that makes up for some of the in non-productivity years of 88 and 89. Okay, who would you rather have? 
Kevin Kuzminoff, Brett Laurie, or Carney Lansford? Well, yeah, you're picking. Okay, great. You, you want you want Craig Paquette? You'll throw him in there too. But if I'm taking Josh Donaldson, or I'm taking Sal Bando, I'm taking Matt Chapman. I'm taking all of them before I take Carney. Remember, they're not booing; they're coozing for Kevin. Coos- <laughs> <laughs> all right, number nine. Uh, so we're gonna look at home runs, and we're gonna go back to uh, well before he was nicknamed Mister October. This is 1969. Reggie Jackson in the first 60 games hit 26 home runs. Wow! And this was this was Reggie year, right? The first half of '69. Now he was his rookie year in '68. He had 29 homers, which was that's a big number. I was tied for eighth most in all of baseball and fourth in the AL. And that's at the Coliseum, which played even larger back then. Um, but '69, he gets off to a great start. Um, you know, seven multi-homer games. At one point, he had a nine home runs, a nine-game stretch. Uh, at the All-Star break, he has 37 homers, which is still tied for the AL record. Uh, it was tied by Chris Davis, the other Chris Davis, the Baltimore Oriole Chris Davis in 2013. Um, 37 at the break. And so all the Roger Maris talk comes up. You know, this is only eight years since Roger hit the 61 and 61. Uh, and for Reggie, who's still a young player, uh, the pressure got to him. And he ends up only hitting 10 more home runs after the break. Uh, finishes with 47, which is still third most of the majors. But what a 60-game start, right? 26 home runs. And now a special mention is back in 2017, and this is in his first 59 games that year, Matt Olson hit 24 home runs, which is still the record for most homers in a season with less than 60 games played, 24, 59 games in 2017. So I was watching the Bucky Dent game. Was that 78 or 77? It was late 70s. What year was that? 78, 1978. And Reggie comes up to the plate, and he's hitting like 270-something. And I went and checked, and I'm like, what's amazing about Reggie is that he struck out so much, but yet his batting average didn't suck. It's like it's like incredible. Like you go look, there's certain years. I mean, he was like, and I just as as we're talking, I just got his baseball reference page. Like in 1980, he hit 300, but he struck out 122 times. It's in, in 1982, he's 36 years old. He struck out 156 times, which led baseball, but he still hit 275. It's his career, the strike. I mean, he struck out more than anybody else, but yet he still hit for average and power. It's it's truly incredible when you look at Reggie Jackson's career. Well, it, it is. And he also, in that time, it was, you know, with one with no strikes and one strike, you're swinging for the fences, right? You get two strikes, you're going to shorten up a little bit. Um, Reggie, you know, he still was always looking to hit taters, as he called them. Um, but he was still looking to be a contact hitter with two strikes. Um, he had that ability um, to come up huge. And we talk about, in my opinion, how Carney Lansford struggled with that. Reggie never struggled coming up huge in the big moment, right? Even in that game, in the 78 game, everybody remembers Bucky Dent's homer. Well, Reggie hit a home run too, yeah. an inning later. All right, that was a huge insurance run and ended up being the winning run. Um, that was just Reggie because he, when the lights shine bright, that's when Reggie turned it on. 
Yeah, that was that was dead central at Fenway Park. Yeah, and when they hadn't blocked off the uh, seats too for the batter's eye, fans were sitting in center field. Tough, tough hitting environment. Reggie Heating, he loved it. Reggie loved those big moments. Number eight. So we'll go to RBI in the first 60 games. Uh, this is Jason Giambi in 2000. In the first 60 games, he had 59 runs batted in. Uh, he's just, I mean, this was his MVP year. And he gets off to a great start. In those 60 games, he hits 296 with 19 bombs. Uh, talk about a guy who didn't strike out a lot. In those 60 games, 49 walks to 39 strikeouts. He had six games with four more runs batted in. Uh, and then a game of the ages on June 7th of that year, 2000, versus the Padres, four for four, two homers, a double, seven runs batted in. And he was just the man, as, as Bill King called him. He was. And he wins the MVP. Well-deserved, 333 average, 43 bombs. Now, for the year, 137 walks, 96 strikeouts. Uh, Jason Giambi, that 2000, to have that type of start and just be that run producer, and he was clutch all the way through. When you don't get 137 runs batted in in a season without coming through consistently, and that's what Jason did. I, I think, you know, his 2001 year was probably even better. Uh, he finished his second in the MVP to Ichiro. He should have won it in 2001. Should have been a back-to-back MVP award winner. And it was all clean. Sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at the numbers. The number, I mean, he, he, he hit 38 bombs, 120 RBIs, hit 342, had a 1,137 OPS. His OPS plus led baseball at 199, and he doesn't win the MVP. Are you kidding me? No. no. And, and I understand the Ichiro and the love for Ichiro. Guy comes over, and he, he has a great year offensively, but he's a singles hit. And who do you, I mean, Ichiro did what he did, and he's phenomenal. Right? He's on base. He steals bases. Great defense. But he did not have the impact, in my opinion, that Jason Giambi had on those 2001 A's. Again, a 2001 team that got off to a, a slow start. And he just leads him with those numbers. And, and Ichiro, he doesn't have the year that he has without Brett Boone having also an MVP-type year for the Mariners. Um, I mean, in a way, Boone might have been more valuable than Ichiro for that Mariner team. And Boone, was he was clean, too. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, by the way, Giambi led the league in doubles also in that year. Those numbers I gave you, he also had 47 doubles. The fact that he wasn't MVP is a joke. Number seven. So we're going to stolen bases, and uh, obviously it's Ricky Henderson. In 1982, um, he had 58 steals in the A's first 60 games. 58 steals, which is always a major league record for games in the first 60 games of the season. Steals in the first 60 games. Uh, goes on to a major league record, 130. Uh, here, here's my question for you. Uh, last year, 2019, who led the major leagues in stolen bases? No clue. Exactly. I don't think anybody does, right? It was Malik Smith of the Mariners. Led the majors with 46 steals. That's it? Yeah, yeah and, and, and that's that's like, you know, when people talk about evaluating catchers now, you know, we just drafted Tyler Soderstrom, and they're like, hey, you get the, who cares if you – no one no, – that stat's dead, and that's not coming back. So uh, if a guy rarely steals, okay, but for the most part, how you're – I 
You need your catcher to hit. I mean, we used to talk about how well does he throw? It's, you know, it's Johnny Bench, you know. Now it's like, and and I hope Ray Fossey's not listening, but now it's like, who cares? No one steals anyway. So who does it care how, how you throw? It's so true. I mean, there's, you know, the Yvonne Rodriguez and Charles Johnson, uh, they were great at shutting down our opponent's running game. Well, you know what shuts down opponent's running games now? Sabermetrics. It's, it's already done for them. People aren't running. There's maybe a handful of guys who you have to worry about. And if, if you're Malik Smith, just don't let him get on base. He's not a great hitter. Don't walk him. You'll be fine. You're, you're right. The tool of throwing for a catcher should not be at the top of the charts anymore. And the same thing with pitch framing. Because as soon as we go to the video umpires, uh, you're not going to worry about pitch framing anymore. That's a skill that's going to go away. So you just want a guy who can who's a nice receiver, but you want a guy who can hit. That's going to be a, a – the throwing is, is now going to be such a small part of the game. It already is a small part of the game. Uh, people just don't run. You bring up Johnson. At a, he, he, he was a Miami Hurricane, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he played with the Marlins and the, and the Dodgers. He was great. I mean, you look at the yeah. back of the 97 Marlins, and just he was just a gun down there. He was he had that presence. That's the other thing. It was the great catchers who would throw. They had a presence about him. But you didn't want to challenge him because because they, they wanted you to go because they knew they were going to throw you out. Are we on seven or six? Uh, since we're kind of doing this a little differently, I think we're on uh, maybe it's maybe it's six. Number six. Uh, we're going to pitching now. Most wins for the A's uh, first 60 games. Uh, probably most people can guess this. It was Vita Blue in 1971. Uh, 13 wins uh, within the A's first 60 games. Uh, 16 starts, 13 and two. 13 complete games, five shutouts, an ERA of 1.45, 125 strikeouts, 130 innings. Uh, just the, the prelude to his, to his Cy Young MVP, and it went all the way through the rest of the year. This is 24 and eight with a 1.82, 312 innings pitched, 301 strikeouts. Uh, what a start! And we talked about that 71 season a lot, but it really is. It was phenomenal. It was the story of baseball with Vita Blue and the Blue Blazer. That it was, it was so big, and you just got to understand not with not every game being on television. So when the A's came to your city and Vita Blue was scheduled to pitch, you went to that game. I mean, there were more tickets sold for Vita Blue starts than any other player because you this was your chance to see Vita Blue. Uh, amazing, amazing season. I love the guy. I've known him for years, so maybe I'm biased. But I look at his numbers, and I look at all the years he had an under three ERA. And back when he pitched, you had to win 300 games. Now we understand if you win over 200 games and you were dominant, you could be a Hall of Famer. So I would ask you, as a baseball historian, if you judge him by today's standard, if you had to vote for the Baseball Hall of Fame, would you say yay or nay for Vita Blue? I still think he falls just a bit short, um, but he's he's right there. I think he's very similar to Bob Welch, to be honest with you. Uh, the numbers are very similar. Um, but then again, those numbers are similar to Don Drysdale, and Drysdale's in the Hall of Fame. So there definitely can be an argument made. I think the end of his career with the drug problem in Kansas City, it, it hurts him. Um, you know, even his 72 season, right, when he held out and he only, you know, started 23 games, goes 6-10, and 10, I, that kind of hurt his numbers. 
you know, I'll finish with 209 wins. Um, yeah, there were 2,000 strikeouts, which was great, uh, and a good ERA. Uh, he's in the conversation uh, for sure. I think he's just right there. I think he's a borderline guy um, that, in my opinion, falls just short. Number five. So just that so we talked about wins in the first 60 games, I just want to mention the, the probably the worst 60-game start by starting pitchers. Um, and they're both in the 1979 season. This was a terrible 79 year. Uh, Rick Langford, after 60 games, was 1-9 with a 6.12 ERA. And Matt Keogh was 0-8 with a 6.21 ERA. That's not good. <laughs> That's not good. That's your, that's your two top starters going one and seventeen with an ERA about six point one five. I mean, just it's not like they were pitching well and not getting run support. No, they were pitching horrible and losing. I mean, they were just getting crushed every time they went to the mound. Your top two starters were one and seventeen. <laughs> oh god, that is horrible. All right, number four. Uh, so we talked about uh, uh, wins. We're talking about ERA. Um, we're going to talk. Vita Blue and Ken Holtzman had the two best through 60, 60 innings. Uh, but for some more recent guys, uh, Dan Heron in two thousand seven, um, after the first sixty games, had an ERA of one point seven zero. Twelve quality starts in his thirteen starts held opponents to a one seventy eight average. He starts the All Star game. At AT&T Park, as it was known then, he started. That's how good a first half he had in those first 60 games. He was just lights out. Um, finished the year 15-9. and nine. This was his last season with the A's. Um, 3.07 ERA. Uh, he's also very excited right now because, especially if there's a universal DH for the rest of the time, he's the last pitcher to record four hits in a game as a batter. He did that for the Diamondbacks against the Cardinals in 2010. Four hits. Now, on the mound, he also allowed three homers in a game. So we believe he might be the only pitcher to get four hits and allow three homers in a game. But uh, that's pretty good. Dan Heron, he was a good A starter. That's a great trivia question. Who's the last pitcher to get four hits in a game? The great yeah. Dan Heron in 2010. Dan Heron. Um, the other guy who got off to a really good 60-game start was Sonny Gray in 2015. Uh, he had an ERA of 1.74, uh, 10 quality starts out of his first 13, seven and three, opponent average under 200, all-star. Uh, that was a tremendous beginning for Sonny Gray in 2015. That's, he was really on his game there. He was, he was so hard to hit. And that's why it's nice to see last year when he was at the red, that he was getting back to the Sonny Gray we saw back then. Yeah, because at one point he was batting practice. I mean, it got yeah. to a, I remember Ace fans calling me, we need to sign him long-term. I'm like, what are you talking about? This guy's getting lit up like a Christmas tree. It was, like, sad to watch. All right, number three. Uh, we're going to talk saves now. You can probably guess this one. This is Dennis Eckersley, 1992. Had 22 saves in the first uh, 68 games. He was 22 for 22, uh, plus a win. He, in the 31 innings, one walk. 37 strikeouts, one walk, 37 strikeouts. I mean, he's, I mean, that was his MVP Cy Young year, right? He ends up going 51 for 54 in saves. Uh, but this is the thing that, that this is why he won the MVP. 
Uh, in the first 52 games he appeared that year, the A's won all 52 games. <laughs> okay? Think about that. And then, out of the first 66 games, the A's won 64. So at one point, there were 64-2 and two in games that actually pitched in. Uh, it turns out he ends up, the A's lose the last three games he pitches in, so the stat ends up being 64-5, and five, which is still ridiculous. But at one point, to be 64-2 in games that you appear, that's why you're most valuable player. I mean, his stats, I mean, the, the, you look, because we just had Eck on to talk about 1989, and I, off the top of my head, it's like he's got 197 wins and then the almost 400 saves. There's nobody in baseball that has those kind of numbers. He's got numbers that no one else has. No, I mean, the closest thing was, was John Smoltz, right? But he wasn't a closer for as long as Eckersley was. Um, but he was the only one who's similar. Uh, for Eck to have really two different careers and be an all-star starting pitcher, a very good starting pitcher, but an out-of-the-world reliever. But, I mean, the effectiveness that he had, the fact that he didn't walk guys um, – just it's just tremendous the, the run that A's fans got to watch with this, with this one player with when he'd come into the game for the most part you were guaranteed to win and really one of the coolest guys I've ever ever interviewed no, e- by e- far. E- number two so on the opposite end of uh, the the guys who had the worst starts over 60 games as far as being a closer um we start with Arthur Rhodes in 2004 now the A's needed a they needed a closer, right? Because at this point, um, Keith Folk was gone. Uh, they needed to replace him. They got Arthur Rhodes, who'd never been a closer before. He'd already he's always been a bullpen guy, a left-handed bullpen guy who was more than a one batter lefty, but not a closer. Uh, the A's put him in there. Uh, did not go well. A uh, 4.21 ERA, five blown saves. Opponents hit 290. Uh, it was just it was. One of the rare mistakes, really, during that time, early 2000s, where it just, it just didn't work. Um, Arthur Rhodes was a mistake. Uh, so that's the guy who lasted as a closer for 60 games who was bad. There was another guy who didn't last for the 60 games, and, and that's Jim Johnson oh. in 2014. Uh, I mean, when you go back and look at this, and it's, it's crazy, right? Because in 2012 and 2013, he had 50-plus saves in each year. For the Orioles. And the A's had to replace Balfour. They trade Jamal Weeks to get Jim Johnson. And I think this is a guy, it's a 50 cent guy. First appearance of the game, first appearance of the season takes a loss against Cleveland. Second appearance takes a loss against Cleveland. And just never recovers in his first five games. Three in the third innings, nine hits, seven runs, six walks. Just brutal. After five games, he's no longer the closer. He's a mop-up man. And Sean Doolittle is, is filling in now. I, that was just that was about as bad a start as you've ever seen a closer have. Remember when Jamal Weeks was untouchable? Untouchable. Pocket schedule. <laughs> I remember they brought him into the radio station, and it was like, "Hey, this is the future." <laughs> Jamal <laughs> Weeks. He had, he had a couple home runs, and he forgot that he was a speed guy. Oh, God, it was awful. Those home runs in Anaheim, that was it. It was terrible. Oh, brutal. All right, number one. So, number one, let's take a look at the best A's start through uh, 60 games. And this is what you hope the A's can accomplish this year. 
uh, and that's going 40 and 20. Uh, the A's did that three times in 72, won the World Series. 88, uh, got to the World Series. In 90, got to the World Series. 40 and 20. Uh, they also had a couple 39s and 21 in 71 and in 89. Um, but that's what you have to do. That's the type of start the A's need to get off on. And there's just not enough time to not get off to a good start. Now, the one thing that is to keep in mind is for most teams over 60 games, you're not going to have a huge separation unless one team just really tanks it. Uh, most teams are going to be around, you know, the 25 to 35 win mark. And that's, you're playing with those games there. Uh, but for some reason, you could jump out. You're trying to win the division. There's one no part of wild card game. Um, you're really looking at if you've got to win two out of every three and win 40 games, I think you're going to be in great shape. So 40 and 20 is the best start in Oakland A's history. Correct. Yeah, I mean, really like the only way, you got to be like the Tigers in 1984, would they start out 35 and 5? That's like the only way you're going you're gonna to blow people out, right? Correct. I think everybody's going to be pretty bunched. Again, because you're playing a balanced schedule, unless one team is just horrible, which uh, maybe the Mariners, uh, I, maybe. I think the Rangers have improved. I think the Angels are good. We know about Houston, so maybe the Mariners. But otherwise, I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of bunchiness in the standings. I mean, I, I, you know, the crazy thing is, is now that you're you're bunching in the NL West. People think the Diamondbacks are going to be better. They think the Padres are going to be better. And really, I mean, Giants are going to stink, uh, you know, allegedly. Uh, Rockies, they could be bad. I mean, they could trade Arenado by uh, the 31st of August. Uh, but you got – now, you're not outing – you got the 107-win Astros and you got the 106-win Dodgers. This division, you know, overall playing the AL West and the – and and the NL West is going to be brutal. And and even if you're you're playing the Giants, well, you have a chance you're going to get Cueto or Samarja. That's no picnic. You play Arizona, you can get Bumgarner. Um, it's it's not easy. And the travel's the hardest of all the divisions, right? Uh, you you're going to have games in all the different time zones. Um, other teams are staying. You know, Yankees never leave the East Coast. It's it's going to be a challenge, but. Again, for a division championship, at least it's a balanced schedule. Everybody's in the same boat, except for, you know, a game here or there against your interleague rival. It's a true division champion. And I think that's what's going to make it so exciting to watch uh, throughout the, the 60 games. My friend, you are the best. I miss seeing you. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to get in the ballpark at some point. But uh, these uh, green and gold histories are something that A's fans absolutely love, and we enjoy having you on. And uh, be safe with you and your parents, and we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Tony. Hopefully see you soon. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.